Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Hello, welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. You are, as usual, joined by Tracy Newman and my good friend Dan Bentley. And today we're really happy to also be joined by Lara Damiani from Think Films. So how we normally like to start off, Lara, is just asking you to tell us a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do. First of all, thanks for having me. And yes, it is a glorious sunny day. It's like you just feel so good to be alive and lovely to be here. Thanks. So I am the founder and owner of Think Films. We are South Australia's only purpose-driven production studio. We make impact films, so whether those films are short, one minute, three minute or five or 15 minute pieces, up to feature length documentaries that reach wide audiences across TV, streaming, theatrical platforms. So ultimately, it's helping people and organisations tell their impact stories in ways that can be authentically engaging and really reach wide audiences. So I had no formal training in filmmaking whatsoever. But back in 2006, I had started reading a book called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, and it really was giving me a whole new perspective on death. Now, I grew up in a Catholic family, right, so no one spoke about death, but I was really intrigued about how the Buddhists spoke about death and looked at life and death. But I also had, for many years, been intrigued about the Tibetan um, occupation by China, so the political situation in Tibet. And at that time, I had just started working with a friend of mine who had studied film at Flinders Uni because I wanted to try and find a way to make documentary films. One day I I said to her, right, that's it, Jess, I'm going to go make a documentary about Tibet. Are you coming with me? And she said no. And so I decided to do it on my own. But that was literally my foray into what then became Think Films, which ultimately started with the production of this feature documentary called Tibet's Cry for Freedom. I love that story. I love that idea that you go, well, this is really important. People need to know about it. I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And it was really important for me also because, so we're talking 2007, just before, well, they had just announced the Beijing Olympics. And I thought if ever there was a time to make a film, now is right. Because of course, you know, we're talking impact and how do you maximise impact? Well, all, all eyes and ears were on this issue of the Beijing Olympics. And so I wanted to try and take as much advantage of that as possible when I released the film. So with no film training, you decide to travel and make a feature-length documentary? Yeah, that's correct. I had a tiny little bit of training by that stage. So I had been working with my friend. We we started a little production company we called Loft Productions because, you know, we're aiming high, so it's Loft. And she taught me the basics of operating a camera, sound recording, basic interviewing, and we had a few little local jobs here in Adelaide. So that was the, the bit of training that I did have. And then, yes, I thought, no, I've got to go and make this documentary. And using the skills that I had learned and really teaching myself 
a lot more skills along the way. But I also did call upon a few, you know, willing friends who were like, yes, I'd love a trip into India or Tibet with you. Can I come and help you? So that was great. I think that's just such a magnificent story. And and what I think is really relatable and wonderful about that is the fact that you really progressed through uncertainty, but purely because you had a really big reason and that 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 sort of drive. And I think that that's so inspiring. That reason was really what drove me. And, you know, the entire journey of, I, I don't think at any point I ever stopped and thought, oh my God, this is all too hard. Yeah, I did. Sorry. I take that back. I did because there were times when it was really hard. And of course, so I had very little training, minimal training. I had no funding. So the first part of that was all how many credit cards can I apply for and how much money do I have in the bank to throw in to kick this thing off? But I do remember the one point, and I just was so hard. It was 2007. I just interviewed the Dalai Lama, and I remember it was like I did not know where my next dollar for this film project was going to come from. But after the interview, we're standing there, and we're holding hands, and he's squeezing my hand, and it's almost like he's giving me this secret message. It's like keep on going. That was the moment when I thought I cannot stop now. I've got to keep on going. So there was a little bit of inspiration there for me. And a little bit of inspiration there for us as well, because you've actually managed to get an interview with the Dalai Lama. I did, I did. And that, I guess part of that is I'm quite a persistent person and I won't give up. And I remember with this project, so I'd made one trip into India, because that's obviously where he lives in northern India in Dharamshala, which with a lot of exiled Tibetans. And I was like, how do I get to interview the Dalai Lama? No, no, no. So I was making networks, local networks and friends and trying to work out, but it's impossible. It's so hard to get an interview with him because everyone wants to do it. And like back then, it's like, oh, God, unless I'm a well-known BBC journalist, how do I make this happen? But then later in 2000, I, I, yeah, later in 2007, I went into Tibet. And then later that year after Tibet, I went back into India. I, overall, I had four trips into India. And I remember through a local Indian Tibetan supporter, friend, who knew the Minister of Defence in the Tibetan government. I don't know how it even happened, but somehow he sort of, we got a meeting with this minister. We were telling him, I told him that we're going into Tibet. And eventually that ended up with, you know, all right, you've got a half hour interview with the Dalai Lama in New Delhi on this day. And I thought, fantastic and, and brilliant, of course. So we turned up and the half hour turns into over an hour and it was magnificent. It was, you know, obviously the big highlight of that entire journey. And you also successfully made a film. Yes, I did. I did, yeah. That his interview formed a big part of that documentary and then I think a about a year later, I managed to finish the documentary and I met him again. I actually met him again three times after that. And the time in 2008 in Sydney, I got to present him with the finished, almost finished DVD. So, yeah, he got, he got a copy of that in his hands. Wow. That is just such an inspiring story. I mean, if that doesn't encourage people to persist through all of the challenges that they come across, I don't know what would. 
So you finished that film and what was the outcome of that film? Were you able to raise some attention on that issue? I self-distributed and it's like I had never been part of the industry. I didn't know anything about film distribution and I managed to sell it to a couple of overseas broadcasters and it was so it screened by TV New Zealand over four years and Czech television over three years, I think. I also got it into a number of international film festivals, so it got shown to people around the world. But part of that project and distributing the film for me was how do you really get more people to see and engage with the issue and the topic? So I organised a number of screenings and at those screenings of the documentary, I had a number of Tibetan ex-political prisoners who came along to talk about their own personal experiences. So they were they were fairly serious because, of course, really serious issues. You know, we're talking about people being tortured in prison. But I do remember, you know, it's great just having the audience involved in being able to ask questions and to get to know more. And I think there was one moment I had my very first ever screening. It was in Byron Bay. It was around the time of Blues Fest, and I remember at Blues Fest, um, Michael Franti, I got to meet him, the American singer, and then there was this bizarre thing that happened. He was on radio the day after, and he started talking about me and this documentary, and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. So, you know, that was, a, that was a good little bit of impact, so he sort of spread the message about it. But at this screening, before I met Michael Franti, I had this screening, and I remember afterwards, yeah, we had the, the Q&A session, and I had the political prisoners talking, and it was really serious and really important. But at the end, there was a young girl who came up to me visibly shaking and crying and she hugged me and she said thank you for making this film because in Japan we don't know much about Tibet and that for me was the defining moment at which I thought if all I did was just elicit that reaction from that one person then everything was worthwhile and it was the moment at which I thought I am never going to give up and I'm going to continue to do this work and find a way to hopefully make it sustainable into the future. So what what does Think Films look like today? How many sort of films have you done and what sort of services do you provide and to who? So we're based at Adelaide Studios. Most people know where the SA Film Corporation is. You know, we're fortunate enough to be here with a number of, of other screen industry creatives. And Think Films, are, of course, you know, we had COVID and a lot of people in the creative industries and like us, completely decimated and for two years sat here twiddling my thumbs almost. I do exaggerate a bit, but it was pretty, it was very tough. But I did exit from that thinking, how do you make purpose-driven productions? How do you sustain that? And how do you make it a, a sustainable, ongoing, expanding business? So this has been my challenge over the last 18 months and a number of wonderful things have been happening. That is our tagline, purpose-driven productions. So we make productions that are aligned with people and organisations that have a purpose. And ultimately, I bring it into a nutshell, is how do we help those people and organisations demonstrate the impact they're having through multimedia, audiovisual mediums? So this is what we do. We had a really lovely little heartfelt documentary on the ABC during COVID. 
which was all filmed at a community in Western Australia. It was called A Place to Call Home. Beautiful story about this incredible man who's created a community for now more than 65 adults who live with fairly serious mental health challenges and the impact that this community has on their lives and the lives of of people in the local community and the lives of the people who are associated with the people who live in the community. That was a really lovely story. And then we had a little short film that I shot and edited and directed. And this this was a little labour of love, but I I travelled with Adelaide's Dr. James Mukey, who runs a wonderful organisation called Sight for All, and they do great work with eye health in developing countries. We, oh, well, I found this little story in the operating theatre in Hanoi, and that little story became a little film that through the story of one particular young little three-year-old girl tells of the impact that Sight for All has through the work that it does. And that was shown on SBS over the last two years. And then there was another project that we released last year, and that's interactive multimedia documentary called Banjo Morton, The Untold Story. Banjo Morton is a senior Ayawara man that I met. So Ayawara is a country in central Australia. Think Alice Springs and sort of around that way there. So I met Banjo Morton in 2010 because I'd read an article about him in The Age can't remember how I did that, but I rang his nephew, had this huge conversation. I just finished my Tibet documentary a few years back and got invited out to meet Banjo. That was the beginning of what would be an 11-year journey. Again, I'm persistent. I never give up to find a way to share Banjo's story because Banjo told me this story of the first walk-off by Aboriginal stockmen in the Northern Territory. This was before Wave Hill, right? Everyone knows Kalkarinji and from Little Things, Big Things Grow, but no one knew Banjo's story. And when I met Banjo, who was sitting on his home on the dirt in his home country, and I was telling him about Tibet and the Dalai Lama, and I mentioned Dalai Lama in my head, ignorantly thinking, is he even going to know who the Dalai Lama is? His eyes lit up and I thought, oh, yeah, he does know, Lara. Don't assume things. And it was just this amazing connection, this amazing friendship that lasted for so long. Unfortunately, Banjo passed away in 2019, but I'm still really good friends with all of his family and the community know me and I spent quite a bit of time going there. So his story was released last year and I'm just trying to find ways now to get more schools around Australia and teachers knowing about it because it's a free digital resource attached to that resource is an educational package all written to align with the Australian curriculum. That's quite a diverse range of projects there, but I can sort of see that there's that impact thread in each of those different stories, which is is really quite beautiful. I don't know that people were using the word impact way back then when I started my my documentary. And I love the fact that it's really become such a well-known word that is engraved into our vocabulary. But I love anything that can have an impact. I love finding ways to make an impact even bigger than what it can be. And I know the power of film and multimedia to do that. I think it's super exciting. I'm always excited by those those challenges and those opportunities. If you're loving what you're hearing on our podcast, you should join us for one of our live events where we cover how you can build a more innovative and impactful organisation. We also have our very popular Co-Design for Impact Masterclass where I'll teach you how to run your own co-design projects and how to set them up for success. 
Spots are limited, so grab your tickets to this and our other events at impactoconsulting.com.au slash events. Why is film such a good medium for storytelling and for bringing these impact stories to life? I go back to the story I said earlier about when I screened my very first film in a theatre at Byron Bay and that one young girl who was so um, visibly shaken. But I love film because you can just capture so much really authentic emotion and understanding and you can really use that to change perceptions and inspire curiosity and get people involved. But, you know, often with film too, it's that concept of having people together in one space, watching something and being absorbed in everything that's going on. It's a wonderful medium because it's got everything. It's got visual, it's got sound, you know, you can elicit so much emotion. And for me, the most powerful way to tell those stories in order to create that change is through character-driven stories. That's what I really love doing is where are the characters and how can one person's individual story tell a bigger story? And I really know that finding that connection, making people connect through film to someone else's story, hugely powerful. I think we all know that, don't we? That That's the beauty of film, I think. What about for organisations? I mean, we have a lot of different leaders from all sorts of organisations all around the world now listening to this podcast. And what sorts of tips could you give them in terms of if they've got a great story to tell? Like, How do they get started? What should they sort of be looking for? I think what's really important is to find a way to tell the story that can connect with people. And whether that's through one person's journey and understanding and following and making that journey known, or whether it's through humour or some sort of emotion, that connection, and this is why I love doing what I do, because connection for me, from the minute I start any project, it's about connecting with the person I'm working with, with the person whose story I'm telling. And so it's this authentic connection that really comes across. But I think finding a way to demonstrate that connection yeah, like what you just said, it's it's not about just pointing a camera at something, right? It's not as simple as that. It is about following these particular characters. It is about capturing that emotion. It's about, you know, having those things that are engaging because the stories are really good. But the thing about film is, is that, it, like you said earlier, it, it just captures so much. It's a rich form of um, media, right? And some of the stories we have, it can take a lot of words to tell these stories. But if you can point your camera at the right things and edit it in a way and and really have that strong storytelling ability, it can make something that is very complicated and big become really you know easy to digest and be something that keeps you interested. And I think that's what I find when I watch the best documentaries and that sort of thing. That's what it does for me. Yeah, absolutely, Dad. And I think the other thing too, and you mentioned it, it's really important, is before a camera even comes out, is there's so much work that needs to happen to make a connection, to make things authentic, those relationships. And, you know, earlier I mentioned Banjo Morton, a project that took 11 years, but that 11 years was because for the first part of that, before I even took a camera with me up there, it was how do I establish a relationship? How do I, as a non-Indigenous filmmaker, go into a community with all the authenticity that I have, because I won't do anything unless I'm completely authentic with how I do it. How do I do that? And for me, it was like, I'm just going to make friends first. Let's, let's become friends first and get to know each other. 
before we work on a project. And you see that when a film is made or a project is finished, you can sense that when you watch, you know, all the greatest documentaries you've watched are because those relationships have been built and that connection, really strong, authentic connection has been made before they go into production. Yeah, we see that in our work as well, that the investment that you spend of time in building a relationship is so very valuable because once you have that trust and you have that relationship, then people are comfortable having a conversation and and sharing, you know, what's important to them. And I think sometimes we're so focused on outcomes that if we don't make sure that we spend that time building that relationship and and creating that safe space. We don't enable people to contribute in a way that's meaningful. Absolutely. You mentioned that you're seeing impact being spoken about a lot more. What do you see as being the future of things like impact filmmaking? Either what do you see is going to happen or what would you like to have happen? What I'd love to have happen is that organisations and companies and and people are really utilising technology and media and film, video to demonstrate impact because you can do that really authentically and cleverly in two minutes or you can do it in 30 seconds or you could do it in 80 minutes you know when you're producing your impact reporting don't worry about those 90 page boring bland reports tell it in a really beautiful powerful film I would love to see that because I think that is of course so much more powerful and you have the ability to reach wider wider audiences especially if you're doing really great work and you're making change that's exciting because I think the more people doing good, making change, the more we can get their stories out there, the better off we're all going to be because we, with too much doom and gloom and not that we need to negate that doom and gloom, but we are always looking for good stories to, you know, fill our souls. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes we want to be mindful and aware of the issues that that need to be worked on. But if we never stop to look at the progress and we never stop to celebrate those wins and we don't stop to celebrate the organisations that are creating amazing outcomes, then you can become a little despondent. So I think that that it's important to share some of those really great success stories. I really like watching those films where, you know, wins have been made because it also inspires people to be able to take those ideas, that momentum and that enthusiasm into those problems that aren't yet to be solved. Because, you know, sometimes we need that little bit of positivity because like you guys just sort of mentioned is that when you are looking at some particular problems and they are huge things that are taking years and years to get better. And even then it's only very incremental to know that other problems like that have been solved or made better in the past is really important to know. Absolutely agree. Yeah, it's a powerful way to share some of those wins right across the board. So is there anything in particular that you would really like for our listeners to be able to take away from our conversation today, Lara? Yeah, I think particularly for uh, organisations and companies out there wanting to find a way to really authentically demonstrate the impact they're having, and particularly if they're doing work with, you know, the sustainable development goals and have environmental or sustainable impact reporting, reach out to us because we would love to work with you. We'd love to help you find a way to to tell those stories in a really authentic way that can really reach wide audiences. And, you know, we can help you in all aspects 
of the project. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lara. I, I loved hearing all of your stories about your exploits and, and how Think Films got started. And I've had the pleasure of seeing some of the documentaries that you talked about, which were, were as you said, really heartwarming and lovely stories. So I really appreciated your time today and um, encourage everyone to pop into the link that we'll put in the show notes to have a look at, at some of that work. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a wonderful way to spend a Friday afternoon. It is, yeah. Thanks. Likewise. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.